Well, good evening, uh, everyone. Uh, I know you on the outlines, uh, it may have Steve's points, um, but you know what? I'll try and be really clear uh, about what my points are, so you can you can write them down. So it won't it won't be a waste of paper. Uh, keep your Bibles open if you've got them there. We're going to be looking at. Uh, a simple but an enormously significant verse that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So I'm going to pray now um, that God would help us to understand what that means and why it matters. So please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would lead us by your Spirit tonight, that we may submit to your Word and we would treasure the truths within it forever. Amen. Well, this evening we are talking about things that change and things that stay the same. Uh, you may have heard it said uh, that the only constant in life uh, is change. Now, apparently one of the first people to put forward uh, this claim was a Greek guy, a philosopher called Heraclitus. And he said this, he said, you never step in the same river twice. That's because, you know, the water's always flowing, it's always different. Uh, but what he, was, what he meant was that everything changes all the time and nothing stands still. And it seems like things are changing. That's a part, just a part of life. Uh, we can observe change in all areas of life. The very cells in our bodies, um, they're replicating and replacing old dying cells. You've got the changing seasons of the year and the changing of years, which seem to roll by faster and faster the more that you have. You have changing technology. Uh, Twelve years ago, uh, my friend bought an iPhone uh, and he showed it to me and I thought, oh, it doesn't have any buttons. That's never going to catch on. Um, yeah, I'm not good at predicting uh, technology trends, so it seems. And if you were to walk around this area of the Blue Mountains uh, only a hundred years ago, uh, the town of Springwood uh, would look radically different from the number of people that live in the area uh, to the different transport that people used to get around, from the fashion that people wore uh, to the way people spoke. Uh, there have been big changes in the last hundred years. Sometimes change is fast, sometimes change is slow. Sometimes change it can be good and sometimes uh, it can be bad, as we've seen uh, with the bushfires that have been you know, ravaging um, uh, all over uh, New South Wales and Victoria. Uh, but our society has changed uh, quite a bit uh, in the last uh, hundred years or so ago, which has meant consequences uh, for Christians. Uh, it once was that uh, most people... Uh, most kind of most Ang Europeans in Australia that lived um, that lived here had had a cultural connection uh, to the Christian faith. Um, that is less and less uh, the case, uh, especially since especially since the 60s. Uh, and just in the last year, uh, I've read a whole bunch of opinion pieces uh, that have virtually argued the same thing: that Christianity and Christians need to get with the times; that we need to change uh, our beliefs. So not the cosmetic changes like whether we have a drum and guitar uh, for music or what the preacher wears. No, but we need to change what we hold to be true. Uh, and you may know some of the Christian beliefs that have come under attack, uh, that are seen as being increasingly controversial uh, uh, in our society. Uh, for instance, that Jesus is the only way to salvation, the existence of heaven and hell, uh, the belief uh, in the miraculous, or the Christian viewpoint of sexuality and gender. Uh, and it gets argued in a lot of these opinion pieces, well, uh, you know, the core Christian beliefs, uh, they are outdated or they're implausible or they're morally wrong by the standards of the majority. So Christians, they have to change their beliefs. Now, this is not a new thing. Um, throughout the centuries, uh, Christians have felt the pressure at times uh, 
to change what they, what they believe. But as we turn into a new decade, uh, and as we live in a, in a nation that, as I've said, is, uh, I guess, more and more drifting away from its cultural connection to Christianity, I believe we're going to keep hearing uh, the charge that we need to get with the times, and we need to be able to provide an, an answer to this. And perhaps you uh, yourself have felt the pressure uh, to change at times, um, both from what you've been reading or from your friends. Uh, perhaps you may have thought, maybe if we you know, radically you know, rethink our faith and change maybe some of what we believe, maybe that will help us to get in tune um, with our culture around us. Perhaps we can get more people in at church. So I guess tonight's question is, do we need to change with the times? Or do we keep travelling on the same course? Well, I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be saying that we must not compromise our core beliefs. We must not change them. And it's because of this very simple uh, and curious verse we have here tonight uh, that really kind of provides, we're providing the reason why. That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I guess what we're going to be looking at, what, what, does, that really, what does that really mean? Uh, and perhaps just as importantly, why does that matter? What real difference does it make? to you and me. Well, we, we, we heard this verse in, in the book of Hebrews, so we should probably see what it's doing there. And now this verse, it comes at the end of the book of Hebrews. Uh, uh, Hebrews is a bit of a unique book in the Bible because uh, it actually reads like a sermon. And it's a sermon that's addressed to a group of Jewish Christians uh, who are at a crossroads. They're at a crossroads in their faith. They've been following Jesus and calling Him their Messiah. Um, but things were starting to get rocky They'd been receiving a lot of scorn and pressure from the community around them for confessing Christ. But it also seemed that there were some uh, internal difficulties as well that had caused doubt. Uh, in, in verse 7, uh, you might notice uh, that the author speaks uh, to the fact that they needed to remember their leaders. It seems that there had been a transition, uh, that their older leaders, for whatever reason, were no longer around. Uh, and just as any organization or business knows, it can be an uncertain time when the steady hand of leadership you once had um, is no longer there. So given these conditions, uh, the church's sense in the security of the gospel was wavering. And they were thinking about changing their faith up altogether. Uh, some of them were thinking about going to the old, nice, familiar practices of the law. Uh, others were thinking about uh, embracing uh, some new teachings, as you see there in verse 9. But whether they changed uh, back to the old or to bring in the new, uh, the, Hebrews, the author of Hebrews realizes that the church would be abandoning Christ and that would lead to disaster. So out of a deep love for them uh, and a desire for the church to, to reach the goal, to reach the heavenly city, the city that endures, uh, the author writes Hebrews um, and he, he urges the church to hold fast to Christ. And Hebrews, uh, if, you, if you know a little bit, little bit about Hebrews, you know that the whole, the whole book is just centred uh, on unpacking the significance uh, of Christ and who He is. That He is the Supreme Lord. That He is the great High Priest and, and the sacrifice that can bring salvation. And uh, His point, uh, really, throughout the, the book, um, is that for the church to abandon Christ would be the dumbest decision they could ever make. And so he urges them uh, to, first, to remember uh, the past, to look back to the past and to remember the leaders who had spoken the word of God to them, uh, to remember what they'd been taught uh, and to see the way their old leaders had lived out uh, their lives. And why did, that, why did they have to look back? Well, it applied to the present. 
because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. So what does it mean that Christ is the same? What are we really getting at? Well, this is my first point, is that Christ has an unchanging being and character. That's That's the first thing that it means, that he is the same. And Jesus Christ will remain the same forever because he is God. Uh, if we could just get um, the passage from Psalm 102 up. Thanks. Now, this passage comes from, this, these verses come from Psalm 102, and they speak about God, and that God is as the everlasting creator. And it says this, it says, In the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them, and they will be discarded. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. Now, the psalmist is talking of the creator God. Uh, he is God, the one who could make and who could change the world. But he was also the God who would never perish, the God who would never change. Now, why am I bringing up these verses? Well, at the start of Hebrews, uh, these verses are quoted, uh, but they are applied to Jesus. He is the one who will remain. He is the one who will not change because he is God. He is the second member, uh, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. And so we think about why, why is this sameness? Why is it good that Jesus will remain? Well, it means uh, it's good that Jesus um, will remain because it would be hard to, to trust him, wouldn't it, uh, if he could somehow perish or disappear. But the fact he remains forever means he can save people forever. But this passage it not only says that Jesus will exist forever, uh, but in fact he will stay the same. He will not change. Now, we call the idea that God uh, will not change or that God cannot change uh, we call it the, the immutability of God. It's a bit of a big, big word. Uh, but what that means is that God cannot change or mutate in any way. Now, you might be thinking, well, this sounds all pretty abstract. Um, why does it matter if God can change? Well, I have a prop. <laughs> See here, this, uh, well, it's, it's suffered in the sun a little bit in the last few days. Uh, this blueberry bush that I received uh, for Christmas. Now, this small plant here has the potential to change. On the one hand, uh, it can change for the better. If I take care of it, if I water it, if I make sure no pests get on it, um, if I love it like it should be loved, uh, it will hopefully produce some fruit. Uh, It'll change for the better. Uh, On the other hand, if I neglect it, um, as I may have been doing, uh, it has the potential to change for the worse. It might not produce anything, it could die. So, it would say the plant Uh, And many other things, they have potential. They can either change uh, for the better or change for the worst. However, God is not like this. He has no potential to change. He cannot grow or improve. And that is because everything that God is, He is to an infinite, perfect and eternal degree. He is not somewhat holy. He is absolutely holy. He is not a little bit loving. He is love through and through. And so Christ is already perfectly holy, loving, almighty, and good. He cannot be these things more tomorrow uh, than he is today. And change for him, because he is perfect, could only ever lead to imperfection. And we might then want to follow up with the question, well, what about when, um, you know, God the Son becomes a man, when Jesus comes to earth? Well, if we consider carefully who Jesus is, that he is both entirely God uh, and entirely man united together, um, it's still true to say that um, God, uh, that God does not change. Um, even though the Son of God enters into history and assumes a human nature, 
It in no way reduces Jesus' divinity. He is no less God uh, when he walked the earth than he is uh, now and in eternity. And so, um, we have uh, a God and we have a Christ who remains the same. So what difference, again, what difference does that really make? Well, two things. First of all, it means that we can count on Christ to always be trustworthy. Uh, We don't have to fear that uh, the Christ we see in the Bible is somehow going to change things up on us. Uh, He's not suddenly going to say, "Ah, by the way, church, I don't really love you at all. Sorry, guys. No, no, God, He's entirely consistent uh, in how He reveals Himself, in who He reveals Himself to be. And we read about Christ uh, and how He acts in the past and in His Word. Uh, We realize that that is the same Christ that reigns right now. Um, the same one that we follow. And so while Christ does not change, uh, He is not like a rock, you know, still and immobile. No, the living Lord Jesus is active and working in history. Which leads uh, me to the next point, that Christ's unchanging being means that His purposes and promises are secure. Now we all make plans uh, and, and promises from time to time. We might say, well, tomorrow I'm going to go to the beach. Or... Perhaps some of you made a New Year's resolution that you would run more or you would read more books or whatever it is. But it often so happens that our plans and our promises are upset. Uh, they're frustrated. They don't, they're not fulfilled. Uh, sometimes due to circumstances outside of our control. Uh, sometimes due to our own inability or laziness. However, God's plans do not change and they cannot be thwarted. Uh, because He does not change, uh, that actually guarantees His sovereignty. His plans will come to fruition. And I wonder if, do you believe this? Uh, I think that's what the Hebrews were experiencing in terms of their doubt. Uh, they found it difficult to trust um, that God was really in control, especially when things didn't seem uh, to make sense. Uh, we might doubt God is in control when things seem out of control for us. And you might have encountered uh, perhaps the accusation that maybe God's plans do change. Uh, here is one version uh, that's been put to me a number of times. Uh, and it goes something like this. Well, The God of the Old Testament, he was all about, you know, wrath and judgment. It was all about fire and brimstone. And it's only in the New Testament that, you know, he seems to to calm down. Uh, And you've got Jesus, who's all about love and peace. Um, But if we understand that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever, we know this cannot be so. Uh, And we see, this is confirmed by the rest of the scripture, that God and his plan is always the same. Uh, God in the Old Testament, yes, uh, He takes sin seriously, but He constantly shows faithful love, patience and mercy to His people. We also see that Jesus, who always was gracious and compassionate, He also warned more than any other figure in the Bible uh, of the eternal judgment that was to come on account of sin. And so we can see that the Holy God who responds to our sinfulness with the deserved judgment is also the same God of grace, who loves us and gives us His Son to bear our sins on the cross. Now, this isn't to deny that uh, God interacts in different ways uh, with people at different points in salvation history. Uh, We don't like the Israelites have a big uh, cloud, you know, leading us uh, around. Uh, Imagine if you you wanted to build, uh, say, let's say you wanted to build a home. So you go and you commission an architect um, and there he is, you know, drawing up uh, the plans, and then you, you, know, you rail at him. You say, no, what are you doing drawing the plans for the house? Don't worry about that. Let's just build the house. 
you're going to end up with a pretty crummy house. Um, because even though it may not look like the finished product, it's, it's, part, it's a necessary part of the plan. And so we see this in salvation history. Uh, for instance, in the Old Testament, uh, the Israelites had to obey the law. Now, Christians are not under the same obligation to obey the law. That's not because God suddenly changed uh, his mind halfway through the Bible and decided, ah, this is a better way of doing things. No, the, the law was always part of the plan. It pointed to our own inadequacy um, to be right before God, but also pointed towards what Jesus would do uh, in perfectly fulfilling the law uh, and, and saving us. But what we can say is that at the heart of God's plan, I guess at the destination point, uh, what was always his eternal purpose was Christ, which we might, we might see and know in the gospel, uh, the good news of what Jesus has done. That was always the plan, that Christ would come to bring the kingdom of God, that he would come to reconcile sinners back to God through his death. And so whatever else uh, happens in history, whatever changes that are surprising come, you know, even if World War III starts tomorrow because uh, America and Iran don't get along, we already know the course and direction of history that ends in Christ returning in glory to bring eternal life to those who trust in him. And so knowing that God's plans uh, are secure, uh, that, actually, that actually means that we can, and this is my final point, that we can be assured forever uh, that our faith will be the same. Uh, our faith will not be uh, different. Sorry. <clears throat> our, the faith that we hold uh, will not be different from that which the Hebrews were holding to. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't going to be points at which we uh, perhaps disagree with one another. Uh, Anglicans uh, and Baptists, they disagree over, over baptism. But we can still be good friends uh, because we hold uh, to what is fundamental uh, in the faith, in the gospel. And nor does, it, uh, nor does it mean that we won't have to think about how we carry out our faith in this world. For instance, uh, it seems to be increasingly the case uh, that we can't just expect uh, non-Christians to, you know, to show up to our building on Sundays. We need to be ready to go and engage with people uh, out in the world, in our daily lives. Uh, that's why it's such a great thing um, with what the, the Beach Mission team was doing. They were doing that. But when I say our faith is the same, I'm talking about the content what it is at its core, what the gospel is, that cannot change, that must not change. Uh, because there have been a number of attempts to uh, reinvent and to change the Christian faith, and I'll just list a couple of them here. Um, in the, the 19th century, and it's still popular now, you, you had a thing called liberal theology, where everything in the Bible uh, was subject to human reason and experience. So it meant that things like uh, miracles and the resurrection, well, you know, because we, we trust in science... Uh, well, th those things could only ever be metaphorical. Or perhaps uh, there was a bit of the Bible uh, or something that you didn't like that God said, and you can say, well, uh, you know, that isn't true in my experience, so I'm just going to uh, reject that. And so we, we also see there have, been other, there have been other attempts to reinvent the faith in the, the middle of the 20th century. You had uh, liberation theology, uh, very popular with socialists, where they said, well, the gospel is not so much about, you know, uh, people and God uh, being uh, reconciled, but it's really about uh, political liberation for oppressed people, uh, for economic equality and for justice. And perhaps more recently, uh, I think we've seen a kind of a reinvention of Christianity into a kind of a, a power religion, an empowerment Christianity, where it's not just enough to have a trust in Jesus, you also have to have the victorious life, the prosperous life, where you are healthy and wealthy, 
where you have incredible, miraculous experiences. But every time that people try and to reinvent the Christian faith, uh, I think they actually they miss the mark. And what they end up doing is actually compromising by trying to change. They compromise what the gospel uh, is really about. But when we, when we give up and when we change the gospel, uh, when the church uh, becomes like the world, and that's what all of those attempts that, to reinvent Christianity really, well, that's what they were doing. What do they really have to offer anyone? Well, certainly, uh, as we see in Hebrews, it's certainly not salvation, not eternal life. And that's why uh, it's so important for the Hebrews to remember their church leaders, to consider how the gospel that was spoken shaped them, because their old leaders knew what a glorious treasure they had in Christ, eternal life and everlasting fellowship with God. And just as then, Jesus is now still that source of salvation, And if you're a follower of Jesus, I wonder what it was that drew you to faith in him. It was him, right? It was everything that he did for you. It was who he was. And so if that was good enough for you, is it not still good enough for our world? It's still good enough to save people. So whatever the opinion pieces say, uh, we don't have to throw out what is fundamental to our faith. We don't have to reinvent the wheel, especially when the wheel that we have Uh, is Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God who reigns. So it really does make all the difference that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, He will not change, nor will His purposes. And it means He can be our hope for all time. And it means He can be the hope that we point others towards. I'm going to pray now um, that God would always keep our eyes fixed uh, on Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you that even when life is turbulent and unexpected, when things seem so out of our control, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you that your Son, um, we have um, him as, as a, permanent, uh, a permanent priest and a permanent king, one who can bring us salvation one who can meet our needs, one uh, who can give us uh, security uh, in this life. We pray that you would help us uh, when we are tempted um, to, to not to hold from him, but to, to go away from him, that you would draw us back to him, that you would more and more fix our eyes on him. And that we would see that he is, he is all that we need, um, both now and forever. Amen.